Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please go to our website, John Warren Media, for more information about our work. You can contact me there with questions or comments using our contact form. Or you can go to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. You can send an email there to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Your comments and encouragement is much appreciated. This has been an interesting journey. We, uh, we are making our way through the attributes of God. We're going to take a pause this week because uh, of something that has been heavy on my heart, and that is the economy. Uh, I hear from you often that you enjoy these economic updates. And I feel like sometimes, I think sometimes, I can just repeat the same old things, the same old kind of, in the minds of some probably, conservative economic talking points. So today, I, I'm, I'm gonna talk about those things, but I wanna, I wanna just do an update, uh, a, a, a September 2023, update on the economy. And and it, it's interesting because there's, there's kind of nothing new under the sun, but instead of leading and lagging indicators and all the, the stock market talk that you hear and the inflation and Bidenomics and all the stuff, I want to, I want to focus on some sort of kitchen table issues, issues that you and I uh, care about. And I, I want to show you, uh, and, and I, I realize that this, this is not all that sophisticated, but I want to show you a pattern that I see in this economy. I am, I am watching this economy to look for sort of rational indications of where we are, concrete, rational indications. And that's hard to do with the economy. You remember our friend Adam Smith back in 1776, he wrote uh, Wealth of Nations. Uh, and uh, he talked about the invisible hand of the market. And that that can sound really complicated. But I, I want to distill that for our thinking today to something like this. And I've talked about this before on Relentless Truth. But just to make it very simple. And, and, and I, I think when we make things simple, when we distill them like this, I don't think we're really omitting anything. We're not leaving anything out that belongs in this discussion. But lest you are an economist and you think I'm oversimplifying, let, let, me, just, let me just explain kind of the, the core thought for today. It is this invisible hand of the market. There, there, there are some things that you and I struggle to explain. For example, I've talked before about the diamond water paradox. Men, you're going to love this part of the discussion. Ladies, maybe not so much. There's a, there's a paradox here. We need water to live. 
Water is not infinitely supplied on this earth. Pure drinking water, at least, is not infinitely supplied. There are parts of the world, parts of the United States even, that don't receive an adequate supply of water. It has to be pumped in, piped in, shipped in, storage has to be used, and so on. Well, diamonds, on the other hand, so, so but water is plentiful, we, we all get that. Diamonds, on the other hand, are, are you'll, you'll hear that they are rare. And, and they aren't not rare, but they're not that rare. If you, if you had, oh, a billion dollars and you wanted to spend 10 million on diamonds, I think you'd have to have about a billion to want to spend 10 million on diamonds. I'm not sure I'd spend 10 million on diamonds if I had a billion, but, but you get the idea. You, you could find $10 million worth of diamonds. And, and uh, men, you know that uh, diamonds and, and young men, uh, high school and college students and, and maybe a little older, you need to understand that the cut and the clarity and all those things come into play. Ladies seem to be um, maybe not born with this knowledge. They seem to acquire this knowledge at an early age, and men, not not so much. We we, we learn this stuff when we when we start to think about marriage and getting engaged. Usually, there are exceptions in both genders, but for the most part, uh, we don't understand clarity and cut and the difference between a solitaire and some other cut and all that. And and that the, the height of the diamond and the width and the color and the, all those things matter in, in determining the value of a diamond. But the paradox really says something like this. Diamonds, and diamonds do have an industrial use. You, uh, some of you know that they're used in, on drill bits, saw blades, in industrial applications to, to cut things. It's very hard, hard material that can be used industrially. Those uses, though, and, and they usually take diamonds down to the almost the dust level, the particle level uh, in those applications. And that's kind of not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the diamond as uh, a, a collector's item or jewelry and diamond in its in its, you know, carrot state rather than used as dust for industrial purposes. But Diamonds really don't have inherent value, do they? I mean, I know they do because we assign value to them, and we had a value discussion in a previous episode, and we're not going to go there in detail today. But water should be worth more because it, it sustains life, right? And yet we value diamonds more than water. Why in the world do we do this? Well, there's a... There's a whole supply and demand relationship that changes over time. And the market, this invisible hand of the market that Adam Smith talks about is really quite interesting. You may have seen items. I'll give you another example. It perplexes me. I, I, I'm not sure why, why I obsess over this one, but the price of a new iPhone when the new series comes out, whether it's, you know, a, a week or a month, I, I don't buy them when they're a week or a month. I wait a while and I let the price come down from, I think now they usually go for about $1,400 and I, I wait till they come down about a thousand or a little less. So I feel better about myself, but, but you can 
find competitors, and I know you can make an argument that the iPhone is superior, but you can find competitors that at lower prices, and yet the 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 market expresses demand a certain way, and companies supply goods and services such that demand is met at a certain price. We call that equilibrium or equilibrium. So this equilibrium point is 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 moving around all the time based on supply and demand. And, and I, I guess a crude example that I could give you, and I, I'm going to get into some statistics about this economy that I think might be helpful to all of us, but just by way of introduction still, I, I, I want to give you this example. If for some reason the egg producers of the country in the United States or anywhere else in the world for that matter, doubled their normal production, their, their, their routine production, whatever that is. I I don't know how you'd do that, you know, uh, other than acquiring a lot, uh, you know, more, more chickens. I, I, how you do it, I guess. Or if, if they found some grain, they could feed their chickens. It would double egg production or some environmental issue or something. And anyway, if we just doubled the supply of eggs, what would happen to the price? You, you know, intuitively, what would happen if demand didn't change and we doubled the supply of eggs, prices would would fall. I mean, you, you, you could make an argument that prices would be cut in half, but you've got fixed and variable costs to think about. And I, I don't know how that works in the egg business. I would imagine transporting the eggs is one of the big issues. So they might not, the prices might not drop in half, but they'd come down. And, and you know that. Conversely, if, if the supply of a thing that you find at your supermarket were to be limited or restricted, I, you know, take, oh, best example I can think of is toilet paper during COVID, which was weird, then then prices go up. Some people call that gouging, and sometimes there is gouging, but but you, you get the idea. Supply and demand have a relationship at a certain price. Well, when, when we evaluate this economy, and this economy is weird, you know, I, I understand it's a strange feels like we haven't been here before. The two periods I often reference on this podcast and in my classes are the Jimmy Carter years, the Jimmy Carter presidency, and the roaring 20s, the roaring 1920s. Those are kind of comparable periods to this period, but not not identically comparable, not perfectly comparable. So there, there are some differences back then. But we have this thing we call stagflation and and, and, you know, it looks like on the surface that unemployment is pretty good. Uh, people who want jobs can can find them. Uh, that that I'm, I'm proving that in my classes when I just survey students quickly by show of hands, not to be true among young people. I bet it's not true of older people if the criteria that we use to measure our our employment is, are you are you good with your job? Are you are you paid what you should be paid and are you are you doing what you want to do what you enjoy doing or are, you know are you are you not stuck in a bad job in a bad environment you know if you if you sort of weeded all that out i don't think the empl- employment situation is quite i think you'd agree with me that that not everyone can just be in their dream job or even be in a really good job at, at adequate pay so Employment isn't perfect, but it's awfully good compared to where it's been historically. The The unemployment rate is in the 3% neighborhood. And that's, 
that's really full employment. Um, you'll, you'll hear uh, our government, our federal government tell us. So we're, we're close to full employment. I, I, don't, I don't know that I trust those statistics because I think we've had people post-COVID check out of the labor force. But COVID did some things to us that, that have, have kind of changed the economy. And we reacted to COVID in, a, in ways that, that changed the economy. But, but I want to talk today about this supply, demand, and price relationship across several what we'll call kitchen table issues. And, and, and I, I want to just synthesize this so that it makes sense to, to all of us. And I think we can see, I think we will see a, a pattern. First, I don't need to tell you that the cost of things has, has increased. Grocery prices in particular, just just household goods, just going to, in our case in Florida, Publix, Target, Walmart, wherever you wherever you do your your routine shopping, those those things you buy for your household repetitively, if not every week, every two weeks, every month, those those uh, uh, consumables that that we buy, the the price of those things have have gone up and. And, and, and the prices of, of equipment and, and, and more fixed goods, those, those have, have gone up as well. When I surveyed my students this year at the beginning of the school year, we kind of reached this prices of groceries, prices of things you buy at the supermarket have kind of gone up over the last three years by 80 or 90%. So I want to, I want to kind of measure this. I, 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 I like to go back. I, I really struggle with you know, going back decades for this measurement because it just sort of loses its efficacy because prices do change over time, demand changes. Um, and there there are several kinds of price increases that happen. And I'll, I'll tell you, it, it's those of you who aren't economists, this is going to trouble you a little bit. Uh, there's, there's inflation is really the devaluation of the currency. But there is this thing called cost push inflation. And that really is very simple. It just says that the cost of things goes up, the component parts, the wholesale price goes up, and and the ultimate cost to the consumer, therefore, increases. And so some people reference inflation that way, and others will say, well, yeah, there's that, but there's also demand-pull inflation. That That's that thing that kind of makes an iPhone worth $1,400 when it comes out. There's significant, substantial demand for for certain goods and services. And so demand can pull, you know, toilet paper during COVID is one of my favorites to reference. Uh, there's, there's demand pull inflation as well. But at the end of the day, it's this, it's this devaluation of, of our, our currency. So grocery prices have, have gone up. So when we devalue the dollar, then we, we have to spend more on, on goods and services. So, so that the spending power of the dollar has declined substantially because grocery and household goods prices have increased by 80 or 90%. We all understand that. You're already dealing with that. You might feel like, oh, gee, I got a, a raise at work or, or you know, our interest rates are better on our accounts. And, and then yet you feel yourself sort of slipping further and further and further behind. We're going to talk about consumer debt at the end of this discussion, 
But suffice it to say, more people are spending more on credit cards and, and credit card debt is setting records. And we'll talk about those numbers. Consumer debt in general is setting records. And we'll, we'll talk very specifically about those numbers. But, but, but there, the problem is this, this, this inflation, the, the devaluation of the currency leading to higher prices. You get that. So, so that's easy. We all understand that. It's painful. It's sort of a colorless, odorless gas. You, you know, it's a, the electric bills are up a little. The uh, other utilities are up a little. Uh, the cost when you call a contractor to repair, so that's gone up some because of the price of gas. You go to the gas pump and that's up some. And, and then, then you go to your supermarket and, and that, that's, you know, they didn't double the prices overnight, but they've almost doubled it with, with some things. Others haven't moved up quite that much. But overall, you're spending almost double for a cart of stuff at your supermarket for um, whatever uh, that is, uh, consumables and food. Your, your, your prices are almost doubling. So, so what can we look at? What other indicators are there? And you get into this whole leading and lagging thing and it's confusing. We always get a better we always get a better view of the economy a few months or even a year or two after the fact. You may have noticed that those of you who are adults back in 2008, 9, 10, you kind of didn't know what was happening at first. You'd hear some bad news and then you didn't understand the implications of that and then next thing you know the houses on your street are selling at record low prices. So we're, let's let's make sense of it if we can. There's an index called the Dow Jones, and, and I, I know you know that name if you're an adult and you pay attention to things. That's really an index of 30 very large companies, that's the best way to say it, uh, uh, that are publicly traded. It, it, there's, there are other indices uh, like the S&P and NASDAQ. The S&P and NASDAQ are a little more representative of stocks, publicly held companies in general. But I'm going to talk about the Dow because that's easier and I don't want to go on forever on stocks in, in this discussion. And I, and I want to go back. I mentioned earlier 2016 because that's when Donald Trump took office. And it's kind of a concrete, you know, it's only seven years, seven and a half years ago. And it, it's very concrete. You can, you can, most of you who listen to this podcast can, can think back that far, sort of. Well, the Dow Jones Industrial Average back then was in the sixteen to nineteen thousand range, and and now today it's it's over thirty four. It's right around thirty four thousand. It bounces around day to day, but but basically it has increased in those seven and a half years about a hundred and thirteen percent from sixteen to nineteen thousand to thirty four to thirty five and change, somewhere in there. So so over a hundred percent. I used a couple of specific dates and I got 113%. Well, now that that's a lot. So, so you invest a dollar just to, just to help you with the math. You, you, you invest a dollar and now you have $2 and 13 cents in just that relatively short period of time. If you invested in the right stocks. Well, it's interesting. Our, our our national debt has similarly increased. You're not going to believe this number if you don't follow these things. In January of 2016, our national debt was $19.5 trillion. Now, that's a lot of money. We, we talked about that in terms of the number of seconds and minutes and all the rest, but I'm not going to do that again today. But $19.5 trillion was our national debt. That That's the amount our federal government 
O's. That that comes about because of our deficits, having to fund deficit. A deficit is where our government spends more than it takes in. And so, so its expenses are larger than its income. And, and over time, that number accumulates. We can go back and look at the history, and I've done that on this podcast before, but the national debt in 2016, the amount of debt of the federal government of the United States is $19.5 trillion, was $19.5 trillion. Well, today, that number is $32 trillion, $32 trillion. That represents an increase of 64%. 64%. So our debt as a country has gone up 64%. And that's, that's problematic, and let me tell you why. Because interest rates have also gone up, and we're going to talk about treasuries and those kinds of things. But if you just look at the basic Fed funds rate, this is the rate that you hear about went from the news media, business news media, that banks charge each other and the Federal Reserve charges banks for overnight borrowings. That number in 2016 was 0.5%. It was actually, there are actually two of those numbers. One is the numbers that large, large banks, very large national and super regionals, they're called. They pay about 0.25%, but everybody else 0.5%. So I'm going to call it 0.5% for argument's sake. Today, that number has gone up. You hear about the Fed, Jerome Powell and the Fed increasing rates. Well, this is the rate they increase. And they've increased that that rate from 2016 at 0.5% to today, it is 5.5%. That doesn't sound like a lot. And it's, it's not a huge interest rate, 5.5%. But if you look at the history of this rate, but that's a 1000% increase. So so the cost of money for, it's actually an 1,100% increase. The cost of money for banks has, has really gone up 10 times, 10 or 11 times. Well, then let's, let's look at something else because I think we can continue to, to, to draw this, this out with these things that we care about. The average home price in the United States in 2016, this is unbelievable to me, was $212,000. That's the mean. You take all the sales and you divide by the number of sales prices, add them together, divide by the number of home sales, you get $212,000. Today, that number is just over $400,000. I heard over the weekend it was $420,000. That's an 89% increase. Home prices have gone up by 89%. Then you take wages, and wages in general haven't kept pace. And, and I'm just going to talk. I'm going to talk about one wage. You can you can kind of manipulate the data if you're the government or you're you're a think tank. If you if you want to prove a certain point, you can kind of pick and choose the data. But but you can't pick and choose with respect to the minimum wage. The federal minimum wage in 2016 was eight dollars and five cents. In January of 2016, 8.05. Today, it's $11. And it's headed through this, this plan, this, this plan where it graduates to $15. But 8.05 to $11 today is a 30, just a 30% increase. So you can see already 
how if, if other wages follow minimum wage, and they don't always, and we can measure it different ways, but if they, if we can just make that assumption for a moment. You can see that wages, if you're at the low end of the, of the wage scale, you haven't kept pace with the, the cost of things. You haven't even come close. And, and so the working poor has expanded. But let's don't go there yet. Let's don't reach big picture conclusions. Let's just keep looking at other, other indices. Let's look at the prime rate. Now, some of you know what the prime rate, what that means. It's the, it's the prime interest rate. It's thought of as the overnight rate, the short-term rate, the floating rate that most bank customers pay, most commercial customers, even sometimes we say the best customer uh, customers, uh, clients, big big companies, the same companies that are in the NASDAQ and S&P, um, it, it's, it's the, the overnight borrowing rate, the short-term borrowing rate. Well, in January of 2016, the prime rate was at 3.75%. You won't believe, if you don't follow this, what it is today. It's 8.5%. So money is costing 127% more for commercial businesses. Now, Small businesses especially are impacted by this. They pay prime plus something usually. So a good a good small business borrower might be paying prime prime plus one or two percent on their debt. So their working capital type debt. So they might be over ten percent now, whereas they were at about five and change in January of two thousand sixteen. So the prime rate has gone from 3.75% January of 16 to 8.5% today. And I, I didn't go back and pick the, the all-time low or even the, the, the low over the last couple of decades. I just picked January of 2016 because it's a period we all remember. I didn't pick it for any special reason. I just wanted to show the seven and a half year change here. So, so the cost of money has gone up by 127%. So, so we've got the, the cost of going to Publix going up by, or your supermarket, 80 or 90%. National debt's gone up by 64%. The average home price, 89%. Minimum wage has only gone up 30%. And, and then we have the prime rate going up 127%. Well, let, let's switch to the average mortgage rate. Now, there's something really peculiar going on in housing right now. You may have noticed this. Housing inventories are down. And I, I have some dear friends who are realtors, and I appreciate all of you very much. But what you're doing right now is resisting the market adjustment. We talked about supply, demand, and price earlier. Well, demand has gone down. Supply has also gone down. But, but the reason demand has gone down in part is because people are not selling houses and buying houses electively. And what I mean by that is they they are not choosing to buy and sell houses. They are only sell, buying and selling them out of necessity so someone gets transferred somewhere else. The family has to move for some reason. Those people are selling their house. There are also some opportunists who are trying to sell their houses. But, but this buying a house notion, chances are if you bought your house three to 10 years ago, your mortgage rate is substantially lower than it is today, and I'll, I'll I'll just give you an example. And and so so why would you sell, and and then buy again if if you have to get a new mortgage? 
if your if your rate is going to increase substantially. The house, the price of the house has gone up. We already talked about that. Average home price is up 89%, and yet you can afford less house. And I think this is this is the crux of the 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 issue that I'm trying to address today. 30-year mortgages, the, the average 30-year mortgage rate in January of 2016 was 3.79%. Now, many of you know that was not the low point. The low point was just below three. But but let's call this the low point because it's close enough. 3.79%. Today, that rate, average 30-year mortgage rate, is 7.23%. That represents an increase of 91%. Here's what that means. You've heard me say this before. That means that a person who could afford a $600,000 house in 2016 now needs to kind of limit that to 300 to 350 somewhere in there if if all things remaining uh, constant remaining the same or similar so average 30 year mortgage rate has gone from 3.79% to 7.23 so in the world of housing which is very important to all of us and very important to the United States economy that people can afford smaller houses now. And yet builders are building opportunistically because they, they, they see that prices have increased and they can make more money. And then now they've been caught by, by this inflation, by the devaluation of the dollar. So prices have increased of, of materials and labor and all the rest. Labor, not as much as, as materials. So 30-year mortgage, the cost of money has gone up 91%. Let's go to gas. Let's go to fuel. You felt this. This bounces around all over the place all the time. There's there are speculators in this market. We we import some gas. Uh, refining is a challenge in certain parts of the world, and you know it's a big global market, so it's complex. But in 2016, the average gallon of gas cost two dollars and fourteen cents. In 2022, which is the last year of data we have. The cost was $4.90. That's an increase of 129%. You see the pattern? The cost of gas has gone up in the United States by 129%, from $2.14 a gallon to $4.90 a gallon in 2022. Again, using the same 2016 to today comparison. Well, unemployment has dropped in 2016, unemployment was at 4.87%. Most in, oh, I don't know, the Department of Labor, the Federal Reserve, people who care about this rate are, are kind of okay at anything less than five. 4.87 isn't full employment, but it's getting close. And that's what we had at 2016. Well, today, the number we're reporting at least, and we've had people leave the workforce during COVID and beyond, and we, we always have that, but we have more people, I think, leaving the workforce at uh, today, the unemployment rate is just over three percent. That's a that's a thirty seven percent decline in unemployment. We're we're pretty much fully employed. All right, let's switch gears to another rate, and and you probably don't think about this one much, but but it it speaks to the cost of. We talked about thirty two trillion dollars in national debt, up from nineteen and a half in two thousand sixteen. That number should scare us all because we have to pay it back. Well, a good barometer for the cost of that money is the 10-year treasury, U.S. treasury. That's a treasury note that 
you you can you, you can buy you can invest in as an individual and and uh, those rates have so the federal government puts these investments out there in the forms of uh, form of bonds and you can you can buy a bond you can invest in a bond and in January of 2016 if you if you bought a 10 year treasury bond you'd you'd be at 2.03% for your yield today that number is 4.26%. And we talked before about the yield curve being flat and all of that. Well, this is just a 10-year rate. The 10-year rate for the Treasury has gone up from 2.03 to 4.26. So in in this denomination, in this for this duration, this 10 years, the cost of the United States government servicing its debt has gone up 110% from 2.03 to 4.26%. 110%. The pattern continues, doesn't it? So the housing inventory is low. However, it's, it's, it's low because voluntary sellers aren't selling due to mortgage repricing. We talked about that. We talked about unemployment and, and, and that, that whole issue. We've talked about mortgage rates and we've talked about how they they still i believe are relatively low but they've they've increased substantially but i want to talk now lastly and then we'll reach we'll try to reach some meaningful conclusions i want to talk about consumer debt in 2016 our consumer debt in the united states totaled 12 trillion dollars today it's up about 33% at 17 trillion dollars from 12 to 17 credit card debt in 2016 was at about 750 billion dollars today it's over a trillion dollars credit card delinquencies are at an 11 year high that means you have to go back to 2012 to find delinquencies in the middle of the great recession to find delinquencies where they are today. So here's what it all really means. We've had this great reset. And I, I and I and I, I just this this is the great financial reset. And and that reset has involved an increase in cost. If I can throw money in there as an asset, the cost of everything, including buying or renting money through interest rates has gone up about 100%. Wages have not kept pace. The economy looks like, if you just look at the surface and you hear the administration brag about it all the time, it looks like it's rocking along okay. But that is because people have not adjusted their spending. People are beginning to recognize that they have to adjust their spending because we see what's happening with consumer debt. If you eventually you get to the point where the music stops and you have to look for a chair, you have to pay the debt back at some point. You're going to see bankruptcies begin to climb and assets reprice as, as this phenomenon continues. You're going to see enough people and I, 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 I'm not painting a doomsday picture here necessarily, but enough people are going to have to sell their houses 
because they get in trouble. They're, they're, they're in financial difficulty. And many of you are experiencing this, and I understand that. My heart goes out to you. We should pray for each other, pray for our nation in this regard. But as it becomes difficult for people to make their mortgage payments, to make their debt payments, to service their debt, that's what's going to happen here. Then foreclosures are going to go up. And as foreclosures increase, and, and I'm not anticipating something like 2008, 9, 10 again, but, but I am anticipating a, a serious reset and, and some economic calamity. Because as those foreclosures increase, and let's just say employment begins to reverse because of this this trend, because of the cost of money, because of businesses having to pay more for supplies, pay more for component parts, pay more for labor. So so as as costs increase, you're, you're, we're, we're, we're going to see this pressure on the economy. We're going to see foreclosures increasing. And, and these assets, housing in particular assets, are going to reprice. Now, something we glossed over is the Dow Jones Industrials. And I want you, I want you to think about this for a second. We said that stocks, because we used Dow Jones as a proxy, they increased 113%. Well, when you, when you look at everything we've talked about today, and, and you look at inflation, you look at the cost of other assets, the stock market basically just broke even. Isn't it interesting that stock assets repriced at about the same rate in round numbers as the average home price increased? So whether you had your money in, in, in homes as investments or, or the stock market, you kind of did about the same, maybe a little better in the stock market, depending, depending on the stocks in your portfolio. Isn't that interesting? Assets generally repriced. Remember in the beginning of this discussion, we talked about supply, demand, and price equilibrium, how the market's always looking for it. It finds it across asset classes. Now, sometimes you'll have one asset class that'll reprice faster than the others, but even the cost of money has changed as evidenced by the prime rate by 127%, 30-year mortgages by 91%. We're all in that 100%-ish neighborhood, cost of gas, 129%. So this great reset has happened. We just don't necessarily recognize it yet. There's going to be downward pressure in the housing market and in the stock market. The reason for the downward pressure in, in values in the stock market is twofold. It's this phenomenon we're talking about now, but demand is going to go down because people are going to flee to safety in bonds or CDs, bank instruments. As they flee to safety, values go down. As demand decreases, price goes down, generally speaking. So this is the great reset. We could have used other criteria, but I wanted to pick these six or seven because they they kind of affect all of us, and if they don't affect you, they're, they're at least relatable. Um, this, is, this is the financial reset that America is experiencing right now. It looks better on paper when you read the Wall Street Journal and you hear the government talking, you hear President Biden talking about Bidenomics and all the rest. You can, you can spin it for political purposes, but America knows, you know, that, that this economy is not nearly as robust as it's 
as it as it appears that it's being as it's being spun to be you also know and you can kind of feel it you can kind of sense it that we're headed to a, a an even greater adjustment in asset values i say all that not to frighten you we trust god we rely on him and his sovereignty but we also plan we also make decisions so perhaps this information is helpful to you i don't give um investment advice. I don't give personal financial advice. I'm not licensed to do that for you, but I want to sound a a warning sound. I I don't want to cause you anxiety and panic, but I, I, I think it's time to prepare even further. And it might be a little late to prepare for some of these things, but, but it is, it is important that we realize that if you sell a home and buy a new home, you're going to pay a whole lot more for the interest. And, and yet, if, if you've got to relocate, if you have to do that, now, now might be the, the time. Again, I'm not giving you personal advice. But this, this reset, as it continues, will have winners and losers. This, this supply, dem- demand, and price equilibrium uh, causes uh, uh, winners and losers. And they, they sort of offset each other in the economy, if you think about it. So, yes, you can earn... Uh, higher wages. Yes, you can earn higher interest, but the cost of things has far outpaced the, those uh, those increases in earnings and interest. It's astounding, isn't it? The cost of just about everything has gone up just about 100%, and yet wages only a little bit. Interest rates have come up nicely, and if you have liquid assets, you're 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 in in a, in the tail of the bell curve in America. The the vast majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck with very little savings. I think that's true of about sixty percent of our households. So I I hope this is helpful. And you know what I really hope I hope it informs us politically. I wish our politicians would just tell the truth about these factors. It's really simple to see this pattern, isn't it, when we lay it out this way. Our, our federal government increased our debt by $8 trillion during this, this, this COVID period, if you will, and by, by more than that in, in, in total during this, this intervening period by, by about, oh, I don't know, 12 and a half or so trillion dollars since January of 2016. That is the causal agent I believe, behind all of the above, all of these issues. So it is important to have politicians who will address this. There's a guy running for president, and I'm not supporting him or advocating for him, named Perry Johnson, who's willing to talk about this. I, I think it's fascinating. His ads kind of creep me out, but he, he actually talks about this, and he's got this plan for government to reduce its spending by 1% or 2% a year, and he says that'll solve it. And he's apparently this this guru in the car industry from years ago. But in short, we, that's what we have to address. We, we, we could turn this around if we addressed our federal budget deficit. And yet, it is still politically unpopular to do so. If you share this episode with friends, you're going to have people tell you, well, yeah, but we don't have to worry about all that. Well, no, no we actually do. Because that money has to be paid back. And in a sense, we're stealing from future generations because they're the ones who are going to have to pay it back. So I hope this has been helpful. Be encouraged that God is on the throne, though. 
The U.S. economy is not the most important things in our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing in our lives. We can rest in him and his grace and mercy for us. Isn't that just a wonderful comfort, even with all of these indices doing all these crazy things that they're doing? So hope this is helpful. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Don't hesitate to ask a question using the contact form on my website, johnwarrenmedia.com, or feel free to send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. This has been an interruption to our, a deviation from our series on the attributes of God. We'll go back to that next week. I look forward to being with you again. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.